Hey, it's David from the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Blake and I wanted to share a new podcast that the team at Earmark Media has been working on. The Crypto with Accountants podcast takes a deep dive into the world of digital assets, cryptocurrencies, NFTs, DeFi, and other blockchain-based technologies, all from an accounting perspective. Each episode explores the ins and outs of crypto accounting and provides valuable insights for accountants, bookkeepers, controllers, CFOs, CPAs, and tax preparers alike. So whether you are just starting out or already have experience with digital assets, this podcast is sure to provide you with the knowledge and expertise that you need to navigate this exciting and ever-evolving space. We hope you enjoy this episode, and if you like it, please go to CryptoWithAccountants.com to find more episodes. And now on to the show. If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit EarmarkCPE.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. We are Hashbasis, your crypto-native accounting firm, which is our tagline. I love it. Um, but we're helping companies with their crypto accounting and bookkeeping and also helping them get set up onto subledgers like Bitwave, for example. And also we're doing individual crypto tax as well, which does also involve a subledger. So we're kind of doing both of those right now, just kind of seeing like what the market is out there, what's the demand for that. But I do eventually see us specializing more in business uh, crypto accounting, like more enterprise level. I love US Gap. I think it's awesome. And I really just want to implement subledgers and help clients get their books in order. Welcome to Crypto with Accountants, CWA powered by Bitwave, where we talk with technologists and crypto enthusiasts as we discuss current events and economy, politics, technology, and digital assets with thought leaders from around the world, hosted by Pat White and Rafael Casas. Today, we have a fantastic guest and our dear friend, Mackenzie Patel, CPA. Mackenzie is a CPA and the CEO of Hashbasis, a crypto native accounting firm. Her list of accolades go on and on. It's really, really interesting background, but she and her business partner, Courtney, started Hashbasis to share their crypto accounting and tax expertise with the blockchain industry. She also does accounting for Dior and the first DAO to be incorporated as an LLC in the US. Mackenzie is based in San Francisco and loves hiking around Angel Island. Definitely want to know about, more about that. but. Mackenzie, thanks so much for joining us. We're, we're super honored to have you here. Of course. Thanks for having me on. I'm really stoked to be here. As you know, I love talking about crypto accounting. It's like my favorite thing. So thanks for having me Hi on. Hiking Angel Island is awesome, actually. It's, it's, I, I didn't realize that, uh, that that was part of your bio, but uh, Angel Island is spectacular. It's such it's such a like underappreciated little part of the Bay here. Well, Mackenzie, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to, to chat. So why don't we start out? Just tell us a little about your your background. I mean, you know, what, what got you into accounting? And then we'll parlay that into what got you into crypto accounting. Sure. Yes. Yeah, so I don't really have a super exciting story about how I got into accounting. I mean, you don't like grow up and you're like, oh, I want to be like an accountant when I'm older. Like I wasn't <laughs> saying that. Like I wanted to be sure a chef you do. or an architect. <laughs> no, I want, I I want like, to be I want to be a paleontologist. So, you know, <laughs> see how, how well that went. That went. <laughs> <laughs> well, there might be some parallels there, but yeah, I definitely did not expect to land in accounting at all. I'm actually starting University of Florida. This is actually back in 2015, and I started doing electrical engineering. Now, when I say oh, started, did you, did you I started as an engineer. Yeah, but I started summer B, so it wasn't even like I switched right after summer B into accounting. So I really didn't take any engineering classes. Um, I just uh, like went in technically as that. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's fun. what's funny because I actually I actually say that that accounting and engineering have a lot of things in common. The things that always stand out to me, we we said this on one of the earlier podcasts, but like both engineers and and good accountants have a very highly tuned sense of what to be OCD about and what not to be OCD about. There's this really interesting thing there of like 
engineers themselves have this level of materiality with which we approach problems. Like at some point, getting to sub millisecond timing on something is the the phrase you know the the juice isn't worth the squeeze and that's the same thing with accounting like at some point you are you're a hundred dollars off and like you know you could spend a week trying to figure that out or you could literally you know call it a material move on with your life and I always I always find like that that relationship but then on the big stuff you have to be incredibly OCD incredibly process driven incredibly like resilient about everything you're working on so I always I always find a lot of overlap between those two yeah, I completely do as well. I think you use the same parts of your brain for both accounting yeah. and engineering. And so my whole thing was that I didn't want to program at all. For I did, uh, it's called FLVS, Florida Virtual School in high school, and I did AP programming. And I hated it because it was all online. I learned nothing. And so when I went to college, I was like, if anything, I don't want to program. Not fast forward two years <laughs> later, and like I was like programming on Code Academy. And so I was like, I could have been a developer. But anyway, so yeah. I switched to accounting because my sister's boyfriend at the time, now husband, was doing accounting also at University of Florida. So I was like, we get along. If he likes accounting, maybe I'll like accounting. And so then I just switched. And then freshman year, I and from there, I just did it um, the rest of college. I actually, I don't often talk to people about this. And this isn't, like, did you immediately love accounting? Like, or, so let me sort of put this in context. Like the, the 101 level classes for computer science are washout classes. Like it is, when I took it, it was C, which... I mean, it's not that it's like the world's hardest language, but like it is a very difficult language to program in if you've never programmed before. So like the 101 level for computer science at SC was incredibly washout. I mean, it was like 40% of people would wash out. By 102, it was a little bit better. And then the rest of the classes were were just normal classes. Is accounting kind of like that? Did they, did they try to wash you out, like make you do, you know, give you the green visor and these enormous books and make you balance like 10,000 transactions? Or like, is it actually a pretty friendly course? No, I wouldn't say it was friendly at all. It's called a, the first class was financial accounting and reporting. So far one. And yeah, it was definitely like you have to call it a weed out class. Like a ton of people just failed it. So actually, that was my first exposure to accounting. And I loved it. I was like, this is great. Like I get the well, I didn't really understand debits and credits at first. I was like, credit cards, debit cards. Like that's what I was seeing. And then one day I was like, wait, these are arbitrary. This doesn't mean anything. And then that's the point at which I kind of understood accounting. I, th- so, yeah, every, I think that. every accountant goes through that point where they realize <laughs> that debits and credits are arbitrary and yeah. that everything in the world starts making more sense. <laughs> that's basically what happened to me. Yeah. So I, I just loved it kind of right from the beginning. And then especially like in uh, later on and then also in master's when I did that program, it just got really fascinating. I love mergers. An acquisitions class that was great um like our, our tax research class i just really i loved all that it auditing so i, I kind of found my i found my home i never thought of of course there's emergent acquisition class so you, oh, totally. you got exposed to intangible assets very early on in your accounting uh career which will then deal with your later your later life getting into crypto <laughs> yeah and i think i got really lucky because my it auditing professor we had it was literally one or two classes and about blockchain. Like he introduced the no, concept to seriously? us. No, seriously? Yes. So we actually, this was back in like uh, probably like 2018 or 2019. And he gave us like an overview of what blockchain was. And then I actually had a class project. And now that I think about it, it was actually really like forward thinking of him. It was like, what do you think crypto assets should be classified as? So I was like, is it intangibles? Is it inventory? Is it like some kind of financial instrument? And so I was doing this back in like 2019, but... I didn't really think wow. anything about it. I was like, this is cool, but this is never going to apply to me. Like, I, wasn't, so, I didn't love crypto. That's so interesting. Then. It's funny because I, in retrospect, it's incredibly obvious, but at the t- I actually like, yeah, in computer science, there are blockchain courses everywhere, but I, it never actually occurred to me that there'd be blockchain courses in accounting, but of course there would be. That's, it's the new hotness for accounting. So you obviously knew what Deloitte had said at that point. What did you come up with in your analysis of, of uh, digital assets? Oh, that's a great question. I, 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 you to remember a, 
a class from five years ago or right i think i might have put inventory or something like that because something about like lot <laughs> level tracking i i made a whole powerpoint i should look it back up but i think i either put inventory or intangibles so yeah that was that was a fun time but it wasn't a full course on blockchain accounting it was just like two individual class sessions on it and oh, then, but that was the only exposure that i got mm-hmm Amazing. So, okay. So you, you did that, you did the master's program there. So you came out, you came out of college with a, with your CPA or I guess you still have to do yep. a little bit of work after that for the CPA, right? Um, luckily I was, I was able to take a lot of courses, like the actual exams in college, but then COVID happened. So then a few of my exams were canceled. So then I ended up getting it or like finishing the exams, I think in June after I graduated. So June, 2020, but it was pretty much like all around the same time. I hear, I hear the CPA. I know we're, we're going into this. It's, this is just sort of a funny thing because I'm actually learning right now. I hear the CPA tests are pretty hard. Is that, are they, are they pretty hard? <laughs> they, I think some are more challenging than others. Like the financial accounting one was, I actually really like that one, but I think it is like quite challenging. And then the regs class or the regulations, which is a tax one, that was definitely the hardest one for me. But then there was like That's, a, the is, is that, one is that a regional, like, is that a, do they do, is it federal regs or it's, it's like you take a CPA course in Florida so you have to do Florida, you have to know Florida and federal or it's all federal regulations. It, yeah, it was all federal, which was good. So it's not like the bar where you have to do like a state specific. Yeah, you're like the regional and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, CPAs, <laughs> we, don't, we don't deal with that. Like we just, it was just federal, thankfully. But it is like the bar because you take a, an ethics uh, ethics test, right? No, I'm from Florida. So we didn't have to do ethics. <laughs> <laughs> there That's was hilarious. no this component. Far, far um, be it for me to laugh at Florida because... Uh, <laughs> We like half our sales team is from Florida. So they're there. We, we are friends with Florida, but that is, uh, that is pretty funny. There have been a lot of discussions as of, re- of recent with the, uh, with the barrier of entry for, for CPAs and, and then as well as like the 150 rule, things of that. Like, so there's been a lot of like arguments and discussion because of the talent, you know, lack of talent coming into the space. So the, yeah, sh- the shortage. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do, I don't know if you remember this, like I, out of your graduating class, like did everyone become a CPA or like, did you even have more wa- like more washout as it got to the tests and making sure you got your hours and all of that? Well, once it got to like the master's program, I think most people, because all my classmates just think big four. I was like one of the yeah. only two that did not do the big four route. And so I kind of felt FOMO like my super senior year. I was like, I'm not doing big four. But then I got over why, that. That's, that's so interesting to me. Why? Why did they want big four? Like, why was that so important? Oh, because that's who caters to these big universities. So like Deloitte, EY, PwC, they would all come to our accounting building and like give us free Chick-fil-A, like all this swag. They take (laughs) us out. So they really, they they court you. And that's kind of how it works. And so I think as a student, you're really wooed by that. And so I interned at Deloitte for literally three summers and I just, I did not enjoy it for three summers. And I was like, at the end of this, I I can't do this. I need to do something else. When you're an intern at Deloitte, do they work you as hard as when you're a a first year associate? Because a first year associate, is a 180 hour, I mean, you're, you're, you have 2000 hours you need to, to bill all that kind of stuff. When you're an intern there, you're just like cruising along, eating chips, like drinking free soda. Basically, yeah, I was an intern in Atlanta all three summers. And so there was a lot of happy hours, a lot of going to breweries. I did drive to a lot of client sites and stuff, but it definitely was not as intense as my friends yeah. that did eventually become first years like full time. So was was Figment your first job out of college then? No, so I actually worked at Honeywell first. Uh, they had, oh. yeah, they called it the future, I'm forgetting the name now, future finance leaders program. And so yeah, I actually interned my last summer in college. So I did three summers at Deloitte and then one summer at Honeywell out in Phoenix. And so I was part of their accounting group for aerospace out in Phoenix. I was living in Scottsdale at the time. So yeah, that was now that's great... got to be interesting 
like that's a yeah. incredibly difficult accounting from a totally different perspective mm -hmm. in terms mm -hmm. of job building, incredibly complex supply chains. That's actually really, really interesting uh, accounting also to crypto, which is incredibly interesting accounting. Yeah, because I was doing, I wasn't doing a lot of the like supply chain stuff. I was doing revenue accounting mostly, which is interesting because that's what I ended up doing at Figma. So I've very much been in this like revenue role for the last few years now. And so I just learned a lot about just general accounting because in school you learn a lot about the basics, but you don't fully really apply them. And so it's like, how yeah. do I actually enter a journal entry into SAP? Like I just learned <laughs> foundational skills like that. And so it was great. Phoenix was just like, Super hot, lots of lots of desert things, but actually, I enjoyed that. So, it's like, oh, yeah, probably not. So you mentioned, so you, you actually mentioned something really interesting. That so I've noticed that a lot of our clients do actually have someone who specializes in revenue accounting, which is really it's that's actually interesting to me. Like, I'm not sure. I would have expected that going forward. But like you think about like the open seas of the world, like Figment, obviously, the crypto revenue is the is is by far one of the hardest parts. It's the highest volume component. Is it that dramatically different a skill? Like what do you what do you think talk talk me through like if, if someone's listening to this and they're like, Oh, I, I, I like revenue accounting, like talk me through like what, what are the skill set differences and like how to think about that role? Yeah, I guess just take big picture, like just revenue in general is just an item that auditors really dial into and they're spending <laughs> yeah, a lot of time of looking on that. Yeah. Obviously, but especially even more so in crypto revenue, I found because it's just very hard to verify crypto revenue a lot of the time. And so I think like a, a really good skill set is just being very detail oriented. Like I know you mentioned the materiality part, which obviously is, you know, makes sense for accounting, but I, I almost try to like not think about the materiality. I pretend the materiality is like zero. And so I actually try to be as detailed as I can, especially in something like crypto, because auditors are going to be looking like they're going to be tracing back to the transaction level to be like, was this revenue real or not? Do you actually own these tokens? And so yeah. I think that's probably the biggest part. And also like the the new RevRut guidance, well, it's not new, I think it's been out for quite a while now, but that five-step process for recognizing revenue, especially in crypto, each one of those line items or steps, I think is just a can of worms. And you can be like, well, you can view it this way or you can view it this way. And so there's just a lot of subjectivity in that, which is why I think you have specialized revenue accountants and why the role tends to be more challenging. And it's interesting because I mean, essentially you're a specialized crypto revenue accountant. Like we talk about this a lot, when we're talking in general about crypto, I often say it's interesting that there's still an expectation that anyone can do crypto accounting. Because like if you go to a really complex real estate shop, like they're not just hiring, you know, kids off the street that have a CPA to do really complex, you know, uh, depreciation, building level depreciation, accounting for your your various like revenue streams off of it, all that kind of stuff. Like you have people who focus on real estate accounting, people who focus on like depreciation accounting. We're now seeing the emergence of the specialization of crypto accounting as a specialization. Like, do you do you mm -hmm. see that as well from your side? Yeah, 100%. And I really like that analogy you use of like, you have to be, you have to understand real estate to be a good, a good real estate accountant. And I think it's the same thing with crypto. Like if you don't understand how blockchains work on a fundamental level, then I think your job as a crypto accountant just gets 10 times harder because you oh, really yeah. need that foundational knowledge, like maybe even some programming knowledge to, because you might be reading contract logs or something. So yeah, I definitely see the field emerging and I don't think anyone can just be a crypto accountant. Like I think you actually have to put in the time to research it and understand the field and the industry. And then you just kind of layer counting on top. Well, it's a good point because from like, there's also like, there's this aspect of expectation versus reality where like mm -hmm. the way that blockchain has been pitched is like, Hey, everything just works. It's all magic. Like it's just on the blockchain. It'll just all work. When you get to any of these places and you realize the reality of it is that nothing really just works. It's like incredibly complicated. There's incredible mm -hmm. depth of complexity around any given transaction. None of the exchanges have good APIs. Like all the exchanges or custodians you're working with have to have pretty 
iffy APIs, even in the best of cases, that you're then using as, you know, this is not JP Morgan that has a 30-year-old API that's been hardened by decades. Uh, you know, this is a startup that honestly an API is like the third or fourth thing on their list of priorities or 15th or 20th. So it is mm-hmm. like the, even just the diligence to actually get to accuracy is very difficult. Yeah, I think it's fun because you think it would be so seamless. And I people come up to me like, oh, is your job just easier now because like everything <laughs> is all in the blockchain? And it's like, no, my job is definitely 10 times harder than just like my, my, my job doing normal accounting. Like, because every single step of the way, I feel like I have to research something new that comes up or as you said, like something breaks. And so you have to go in and do some investigation into that. And so maybe in like 10, 15 years, once the industry matures, and I, I definitely think it is maturing. I've had a lot of demos of new like crypto accounting tools so far, and they've really come a long way even since like a year ago. And so I think we will eventually get to that end state. But we're just kind of in this like awkward growing pain space where it's just kind of painful. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see. I mean, even, you know, we we think about that a bit. We have a lot in terms of like, when do we hit that inflection point of that mm-hmm. this goes from being harder to being easier? You know, the new FASB guidance will certainly help with that uh, in some ways to sort of like get rid of some of the more complexity around like some of the stuff. Although even the new FASB guidance doesn't get rid of impairment. It just limits what's getting impaired. So like we're going mm-hmm. through this phase of like more complexity before we get to less complexity actually, which is which is super interesting. But then also, I mean, the other thing is like a lot of stuff has to be, there, there's going to have to be more on-chain support for stuff. So like things like request network working on is working on some cool stuff. Like as more of the actual blockchain stuff gets on-chain, you end up in a cool situation where it's easier for the accounting tools to actually like deal with it because there's more information on-chain. You know, that's then that's a big part of all this stuff. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned request. I had a call with them earlier today where we were getting a demo. And they're one of those products where I think they've done a really fantastic job growing in the last you know year or two. And so I think it's really cool. Like they have their invoices that are on chain, but they showed me this expense feature where you can like take a picture of a receipt and then it links to an invoice that you send out. And I'm like, that'd be so cool. That picture of your receipt is an, an NFT that now lives on chain. And then you have auditable support that goes back to the, to the receipt level. And so, yeah, oh, yeah I totally well, agree. I think we'll get there. Yeah, that's and that's a big part because that, that obviously would never work on an L1. But then the idea is like now that mm-hmm. we have these really cheap L2s, L3s, because right. you, know, you don't want a picture of your receipt on a public blockchain. You want it encrypted on a on an L3 and like mm-hmm. that you can then give really specific access to your auditors around. So like there's stuff coming down the pipe that's going to change the world here. But it's still interesting to see what what happens. You know, like it's we're not there yet. We're still figuring it out. And honestly, there's still a lot of pushback. You know, that's that's like part of the tough part about this is like, when you when you get as much pushback as you gain from like the government right now, you do end up in this stage where like that does kind of like slow down innovation a little bit because suddenly everyone's not quite totally sure you know how much they should really be pushing on this if the government's gonna try to make it illegal or whatever from that perspective, you know? Yeah, I heard somebody say one time that this environment is very uncertain because there's lack of regulation and lack of clarity, but there's still enforcement. <laughs> and yeah, so I think exactly. that, that really scares people. And I'm like, yeah, I can definitely understand that. Yeah, it's which is mm-hmm. uh, the absolute worst place to be for an industry like this, and it's why, like, I mean, it's why we all get so bummed about like Americans' place in this because it's like we are the financial services leader in the world. We should be leading on crypto, and yet we're doing so much to fight that. You know, it's it's uh, it's really tough. Okay, so you spent time at Honeywell, and then Figment. Well, there was a little bit of an interlude, not really an interlude, just something that I did on my way to becoming a crypto accountant. So while at Honeywell, I just got really into crypto. So one of my really good friends. He was actually working at MakerDAO at the time. He had interned there, uh, just like really into DeFi. And we just were chatting about it a lot. And so I was telling him that I want to do something like 
more cool with my accounting degree at some point, not just do like, you know, normal revenue accounting. And so, yeah, he's the one that really got me into crypto. And this must have been like October of 2019, I think. So what, what was it that, what was it that hooked you? What was the, what well, was it? It sounds kind of basic, but I was like, oh, like blockchains are ledgers. Like I'm an accountant, I get ledgers. And so it was something that was like, blockchain seems so technical to me, but then there's just like this fundamental piece. I was like, wait, I just kind of intuitively understand this. And to me, that was actually quite powerful. And I just like all the DJ-y aspects as well. I'm just like, oh, there's NFTs, <laughs> this is cool. Like this is kind of edgy. And so, yeah, I just started researching it a lot on my own. And then throughout this process, I also started uh, doing some programming on Codecademy on the side. So like Java basics, Python basics. Um, and I actually had this thing called Codecademy chapters where you could launch like a virtual chapter around any topic that you wanted. So then I launched Phoenix Crypto which is just a virtual community dedicated to teaching people all about crypto. So then I was researching things on the side, like how do you simulate a blockchain in Python? How do you, you know, what, are, what does the merge mean on Ethereum? And then I was giving these presentations out to just like random people on the internet. And so I was able to just learn a lot that way because I was basically forcing myself to learn by teaching others. And I think that was really instrumental in me understanding crypto. Amazing. So then what, what, made, you, what made you finally decide to take the dive? I think I just, I knew I was ready. I've been doing Phoenix Crypto for about seven or, or eight months. And I just wanted to actually apply that knowledge and and like an actual job. And that summer, um, I was actually in San Francisco. And I think just being in San Francisco, obviously, is like it's such a startup, like tech sort of scene. And I just I yeah. felt like I wanted to do something in the technology industry. And I was like, okay, like, it's now or never, it's time. So then, yeah, that summer, I did it. <laughs> I was gonna, you made you made a really interesting point, and I've heard you talk about this before. You know, because we have a lot of accounts that are on the cusp or interested in maybe getting in this space a bit more. And you just mm -hmm. made a good point about the fundamentals, right? Of just understanding. And I've heard you talk about this a little bit before. But for some of those accounts that are listening to us and, and looking to make the, you know, you talked about cash basis and on transaction, on train transactions and accrual and um, the differences there. And I'd like to, if you want to kind of talk high level on that, that could be a really good. You know, I think a really good one-on-one for some people just going to understand and, and looking to get in this space because we have a lot of accounts that we we talk to and see that are just trying to understand how to what this looks like. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess on the on the crypto side, like putting crypto accounting aside for a second, like I think it's important to understand kind of like the first principles, the basics of crypto. Like, why do we even have this? Like, crypto is supposed to be a better system for transacting on the internet. Like, that's what it's supposed to be. And so I often just try to remind myself that because sometimes it can seem like, oh, like, what is this NFT project doing? Like, you know, what is this new network doing? It can all seem very nebulous, but at least for me, like, sometimes I just reread the Bitcoin white paper and I'm like, this is why we're here, like peer-to-peer -peer payments that are just supposed to be fast, instantaneous, and, you know, anonymous or pseudonymous. So that's kind of the first part. But then now switching over to more to like the crypto accounting piece. Yeah, I think the cash basis um, part is very important to understand, especially from the accounting perspective. So accountants know cash basis, accrual basis, different ways you can, you know, report your books under. But blockchains are just inherently cash base, cash basis, right? Because they're you're sending tokens, you're receiving tokens, and that's what the ledger sees. It doesn't know, oh, I just performed some services. So technically I, I'm owed a payment. Like it doesn't know that. It only knows when I've actually been paid by somebody. And so for me, that was kind of like a big, uh, like, I guess, reconciling item in my head. I'm like, how is crypto actually working? Like, oh, it's literally just, it sends of tokens and receives of tokens or tokens doing something. And it happens whenever that timestamp says that has happened. And so I think that's just the the gap between what, you know, US gap or accrual based books are supposed to be and then what's happening on chain. And that's where a lot of my job, like a lot of my work that I do is just trying to always reconcile those two. 
And so I think the product that can actually close that gap and just make blockchains understand accrual basis accounting, if that's going to be like the ultimate product, I don't know if we'll, we'll get there because that's not the, the nature of blockchain. Well, it's just, it's so interesting to mention that because that is, it's one of the gaps, like when people say, hey, <laughs> like, is this making your job easier? It's like, well, no, because like all the normal stuff is there. It's just a slightly more efficient bank account, but then <laughs> with some detrimental pieces versus an actual, an actual bank account. And like when it's a lot of the stuff that we want to get to is the idea of like, it's bigger interchange problems. Now, of course, what's interesting about that is like interchange, interchange for things like invoices has existed for a long time, but you always are in this like really tough situation of like fitting in with somebody's model that maybe you don't like. Maybe someone uses Workday, the other person uses SAP. You're trying to do an interchange and it's just not working exactly right. You know, we're, it's getting to the blockchain is really this story of, it's, it's how do people, like blockchain in general is good for how do people who don't trust each other work together. That fits really nicely into something like agreeing on an invoice. Like an invoice mm -hmm. gets created on the blockchain, both sides agree on it. Like that's, Request Network's doing really, really cool stuff here. Like we think they are doing some really interesting stuff around this. We partner with them. They'll be at EDAS, both as a, I think they're going to be on one of the payments panels and then they'll also have a have a booth there. So like we, we think that that's a major part to actually, really actually uh, streamlining a lot of this stuff. And the other side would be like, you know, getting more metadata on the blockchain chain also also kind of does it there for yeah. sure yeah on the um one quick note on the payment side i definitely agree that it, it is getting a lot better but i still think like having crypto or blockchain in the middle kind of does add a few extra steps like let's say i send an invoice to somebody so okay great now i have to tell my erp okay this is accounts receivable book the revenue and then to wait for the payment to come in and let's say i see the payment on like bitwave or something then i'm like, okay this payment come in comes in now i have to go ahead and close it on the erp side and the transaction does sync, which is good, but at least there's also like a reclass entry that needs to happen. So you put it in the right digital asset account. And so I have found that there's like a few extra steps. It's easier to reconcile because I can point to an on-chain transaction like, okay, this actually happened. I actually did get paid. But on the accountant side, there's just like a few other things you have to do to fully close the transaction. So yeah. we're getting there. Yeah, no, it is. It is a. Uh, it, it still is a project, and there's still. I mean, there's still is a lot of complexity there too. But I think you know where mm -hmm. it's going to change would be once we start to see because honestly you know, where we don't want to be with crypto in my world, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is like, we don't want to be, there's a there's an example, and it's, it's I think it's been debunked, but I still like using it, of uh, when one of the first cars came out, they uh, they put a, a, a stuffed horse's head on the front of the car to like, A, make people more comfortable with the car, and B, make the other horses that were still on the road comfortable with the car. So it's this idea of like, taking this new technology, but just sort of using it like old technology. And we're kind of in that phase of crypto right now, which is like, yeah, if you're, if you're trying to replace your current ARAP ACH process by itself, like just take that really narrow slice of clicking the, the yes button on ACH and you're trying to replace that with crypto, which a lot of the payment projects are doing right now. You're basically saying, hey, we have this enormous awesome technology that is really, you know, a groundbreaking uh, new financial system and automation. But what we're going to use it for is like just replacing this little tiny narrow slice. I'm not sure that that's where you get the benefit. The benefit is when you start to codify, you know, actual contracts. Like you basically say, hey, you know, I mean, how many times have people ignored their net 30 terms? Because at the end of the day, it's kind of a pain in the ass to do it. These are people you have to deal with every single day. You don't really want to be too confrontational. Like how often do you really worry about that? But if you can enforce that at the smart contract level, either like a net 15 bonus for paying or a net 30 plus penalty for not paying, suddenly you actually have you know, self-enforcement 
of things like your net payment terms. And you can add more stuff like that in terms of streaming payroll and or streaming invoices, better use of the funds while they're sitting in this escrow. So you even get this thing that like, you, know, you can start to change the way you think about payment terms where like you have to deposit the payment on the first, but we don't remove, we don't actually have access to the 15th and you have like more, and then it's accruing interest or something in that, in that interstitial period. That's like what I get really excited about around payments is, is when we're not just paying between two people and like replacing ACH. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does feel, I think the, the term is skeuomorphic, right? I think you're still kind of in that phase where we're just trying to replace everything that was in web two, just like and give it like the web three version of it. So yeah, I definitely still agree. But I think there's actually payments. There's a lot of opportunity there, like super fluid, for example, and the streaming payments. I'm like, why has not everyone just adopted streaming payments yet? I mean, I'm sure yeah. there's good reasons why the infrastructure <laughs> might not be like fully ready yet, but things like that. I'm just like, yeah, we need to actually well, I think, you know, it's, it's a great question though, that I tend to think about because like you are, it's ultimately a business discussion, right? Like that's, it's, mm -hmm. you know, why everyone hasn't, hasn't picked up streaming payments is ultimately like, well, what's the business reason for streaming? Like mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of reasons not to do it, right? Like if you're doing streaming payroll, it is incredibly difficult to do the accounting for that, right? Because you essentially are going to do a draw, you do a drawdown on a salary that you then satisfy on at the end of the month or, or you do day by day rec, but even that's like kind of a nightmare. So streaming payroll is obviously very complicated streaming invoices are complicated. So the question, this ultimately has to come down to the business, which is like, why does the business want streaming? And honestly, where I have kind of come out of this, like, I'm not sure, we'll see. I'm really, I, I love the streaming use case. I'm not sure we're going to see streaming payments for individuals. I actually think it's a mm -hmm. lot more likely we'll see it for businesses. But actually, that reminds, so Mackenzie, why don't you explain what streaming payroll and streaming payments are? And then we can kind of get into some of the interesting use cases for those. Yeah, definitely. So you set up, I think you set up a smart contract first and basically mm -hmm. the payments that you're sending to like a contractor, for example, it's kind of in the name. They just kind of slowly leak out or like send out to this other person's address. And so instead of having to wait for your paycheck at the end of the month, you can just receive payments, you know, every hour, every day, or I think whatever the cadence is that you set up. And so it's better for the person receiving payments because they can actually have access to their funds right away. They don't have to wait. Nothing's uncertain about it. But definitely agree on the accounting and tax side. I just was thinking, how do you withhold taxes on a streaming payment? That sounds uh, very complicated. But and I, th about, I mean, like, that's the only thing. Yeah, when we have folks doing it, we do it on, we basically do it as a draw, in particular for, mm -hmm. for withholding employee pay, uh, payroll, because you basically okay. do it as a draw that just satisfies over the course of a, of a month. But when it comes, you know, where, where you get really interesting there is then you start to see there are really interesting things that come out of that. So essentially, if if I set up a streaming payment for you, so let's say you know we do some we do some services and and you know I'm going to pay you you know 100 ETH over the course of a month, and I do that as streaming. I mean, essentially, it is a depending on on what month you do it, like it averages out to a net 15 payment. And so the question is like it averages out to a net 15 payment, but with earlier access to some funds and collateralizable access to the full amount. Like that's what becomes really interesting mm -hmm. here. So it's like we we have to go to like the second derivative of use cases here which is like okay, if I just do net 15 on the 15th day of the month I suddenly get a payment, that's great. But if I am sitting on the full amount is in a smart contract and I am slowly getting it on a day-by-day -day basis, A, I have earlier access to cash as the payee B, but B on the other side is that I actually, as the payer, I am able to earn interest on the amount past the 15th. So there are real reasons to actually 
to want to kind of sit on it. And I now have a record of my payments. I could potentially use some of that as if I'm the payee, I could use as collateral. Like I can say, hey, this contract is mine. You can see exactly how much there is in this month. I could borrow against it a month out and that could be enforced on chain as opposed to, you know, through contracts, through factoring and things like that. So I don't know, like it has to ultimately be driven by something that the business wants, not just by how cool the technology is. Right. One thing that just came to mind, like from the payer's perspective, the person actually sending the money, like then you just have a constant stream of, of gains and losses as well. So I'm just wondering <laughs> how, how does one calculate that? Like how, you know, what's your cost basis for those assets that are just streaming out? Hmm. 100%. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Not, you, and you basically, before. you turn it into a, it's a variable money, amount of money going out. So you've, you've sort of struck a price because I mean, what you ultimately what you do is you probably would want to book it when you move it into the smart contract to pay for that month. That's when you would kind of book a, you know, a, a payment going out or sort of thing. But realistically speaking, mm-hmm. you actually are picking up a forex delta every single day as you relieve it. You're picking up a forex delta exactly off of it. Yeah, it's like how so do you like track a, that? Yeah, um, mm-hmm. super super interesting. This is this is the fun stuff about crypto accounting. I mean, it really. <laughs> It really it's is cool. like more people should do it. <laughs> it's constantly it. changing, like every hour, right? I mean, so what what are like resources that you go to to kind of stay up to date on on things and keep you oh, up to boy. date? Yeah, I don't do as good of a job as I should, especially on the crypto news part. I'm definitely <laughs> still trying to get better at that. So, like, you know, I get like the Bankless newsletter just on the crypto news side. I, I have crypto Twitter, so that's where I get my actual crypto news, and also just by talking to people in the industry is where I get most of it. But on the crypto accounting side, it's more, there's, you know, I don't know what the FASB really tweets about crypto, so I don't really go to Twitter for my <laughs> crypto accounting news needs. Um, but a lot of guides are being put out, especially by big four. Um, I know like KPMG has some really good guides on NFTs and staking rewards, like all the big four, they just have like, here's like a, a practice aid for for this type of crypto activity. My favorite one of all time is the AICPA's accounting for and auditing of digital assets. That thing is my favorite thing. I read that so many times at this point. It's just got really good use cases and examples. Um, how, how is that? Because that's been around for a long time. How's that aged? I haven't looked at it for well, a while. Well, they updated. They have different, they released a new appendix, I think a couple months ago. And so they are continually updating it. So that's just like, that was my first introduction to crypto accounting. And so I just hold it very near and dear to my heart. So love that one. Um, yeah, I guess. Uh, have they got, I mean, have they got in, did their appendix include anything about DeFi or anything like that? Or it's still kind of like more basic mm, level stuff? It's more high level, I guess DeFi. I'm getting to... Yeah, I know, especially at Figment, like they had a, like a mining section, um, just mining, mm-hmm. not not staking. So I was able to use that, but it is still more fairly high level, I think. But yeah, and then also like FASB had an exposure draft that came out. Um, the IRS just came out the new notice about NFTs and collectible rates. So just going to like the actual source and seeing those things come up, like I just read those. Did, wait, did a new? I, I must have missed this. A new a new item came out on the on the NFT collectible collectible rates. Yeah, so um, I forget what I think they just put out um, their a request for comment is what they asked for, and so oh, yeah. for certain NFTs they will be taxed at the twenty eight percent. But they have this thing called a look through analysis. So basically, you have to look like look through the NFT to what it's actually doing, and is the underlying like right or assets uh, is that considered a collectible? Is it like a coin? Is it a work of art? And like, what are your rights with regards to that? And if so, then it gives a twenty eight percent. I think it's that's the way everyone's been doing it up to this point. Is you you do yeah. a different treatment for a board ape than you do for a a realty NFT, like a, a, a token that grants you rights to a house in Atlanta or something. Like right. those are apps or or a Uniswap liquidity pool. Like that's obviously a different kind of like use case than uh than a board yeah. ape or something. That's good. That's good that they actually finally codified that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so yeah. that's why I think NFTs are so fascinating because like you really need to understand like the exact collection or project and, and like what's the underlying right that this NFT is giving you because that can totally change the accounting or at least like the tax treatment, you know? So it's like you really need to be kind of sharp about what's going on with the collection. It's a fun part. I mean, it's a fun part of this is just sort of keeping up on all the on all the things that are happening as, as the oh, world yeah. matures here. Like, oh, this changed. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like okay, well we gotta do it. I mean it is it is interesting. Like one of the things that's gonna come down the pike here is the FASB the FASB guidance has come out. We 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 won't go into too much detail here, but it is, you know, there will be a very different way that we are accounting for all these assets here going mm-hmm. forward. There's gonna be a couple of really interesting parts about that. Like first of all, so we're moving from for a subset of the assets. Well, uh, Mackenzie, I don't know if you saw this part, but I, it'd be fun to talk about. Like, so for a subset of the assets, you're going to be able to move to fair value. There's mm-hmm. carve-outs on that. So things like governance tokens may or may not be carved out. Uh, mm-hmm. NFTs are obviously carved out, whereas like, NFTs you still would impair. Governance tokens you still impair. The one that was really a really nasty carve-out is the uh, wrapped tokens. So they... Yeah, I record- saw that. Yeah, so right now they're saying that you all be able to fair value treatment for ETH, but WEATH will be uh, impaired. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, based on their definition, it makes sense. When you have WEATH, it gives you an underlying right to then redeem it for ETH. So it, it does adhere to their definition. But at the same time, it's like, my gosh, they're like the same thing. Like, you know, so like, why do you have this different treatment? But it makes sense. And then there's also like STE. So I think all these derivatives are, are not going to qualify for the fair value treatment, but it's just going to make the accounting really confusing and kind of hard. Like if you get a balance sheet and you see ETH and then you see WEF underneath it and you're looking at them under two different valuations, like that's just kind of confusing for the reader. Two different valuations, so, two different spots, two different parts of the balance yeah, sheet. Because essentially digital exactly. assets are going to move up the balance sheet. Uh, Weath, or ETH, ETH and Bitcoin move up the balance sheet. Uh, WEF will stay at the bottom of it. I mean, it's a really interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting also. Yeah, so I think, well, I like the disclosure parts that they mentioned, like the disclosures have to get a lot more robust and then they'll be able to see like maybe ETH and WEATH next to each other. Here's the cost basis then like here's a fair value. So I think that is good, but I mean, they'll keep accountants like me employed. So I guess that's good from that point of view. Yeah, but it's, also, it's, it's, like we, cause we're rolling out a, as part of our like yeah. inventory views, we're rolling out the ability to have segmented, you can actually select what tokens you're fair okay. value and what tokens you're impairing. Mm-hmm. So that's gonna be yeah. fun, I guess. I don't know, we're, we're, we'll, we'll be announcing that at EDAS and showing it off, but. Oh, that's exciting. See, that sounds like fun to me, Pat. I'd be like going to each asset. What is it? You know, like I'd like that. <laughs> the the thing that is going to be really tough about all this is that traditionally most of our clients have treated ETH to ETH as equivalent. What becomes really hard about that is that the important part of that is that when you trade ETH to ETH, you don't pick up a gain or loss. And mm-hmm. most people agree with that. Like this is, it's taking a stock and it's handing it to TD Ameritrade and having them hold on to it in a lot of ways and giving you a, a promissory note back that you then go and sell. I mean, that's the, from a very, very like direct reading of like how this actually works on the blockchain. But suddenly you're actually not going to be able to do that. So suddenly if you, if you do have to impair WEATH but not ETH, suddenly that actually has really major ramifications because suddenly that means mm-hmm. you cannot treat ETH and WEATH as the same as the same item. And that means you do have to do a gain or loss. And that's that's potentially for some of our clients, that's millions of dollars of of gain or loss on that. Yeah, I think that really is sucks. probably more aligning like accounting to the tax treatment. Cause I think I think the IRS said that like wrapping tokens is considered a taxable event. So 
I guess in that in that sense, like they are more aligned, so we don't have this wide of a gap between what Gap's saying and then like what the IRC is saying. But still, yeah, it's even probably not even, even that thing. one is super interesting because like if the IRS were really to 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 sniff at that, like does the IRS really think that you can you can wash trade by by going from ETH to the W to to WEATH and back? Like, of course they don't. Like that's you know it's one of those really funny things. Where maybe at first blush that seems good for them, but when they ultimately get into this and they ultimately look at like the real monetary pieces of this, they definitely mm-hmm. they don't want you to be able to wash trade that way. They do want you to treat that as the same asset. Uh, is my yeah. my prediction on these things. So we'll yeah, see. Yeah, I'm still waiting for wash trading to be, I guess, outlawed by the IRS. I don't think they. I think you can still do it with crypto, but I think that's going to go away at some point. Well, way. It, so. it depends a lot on how you read. Like the the statute itself is unclear, and it does reference security, mm-hmm. so it relates back to like if you think crypto is a security or not, and all these right. other things. So like we talk to a lot of people who do in fact think that wash trading is is illegal today or or whatever mm-hmm. against against guidance today on crypto and do not recommend doing it. But the most recent guidance they gave is that all you have to do is wrap and now it's okay. So you get, it's a free, you get out of jail free card on, on wash trading. So for those listeners out there, can you guys explain what wash trading is? Just so maybe not familiar McKenzie, with Mackenzie, take it away. Yeah, so we have an asset and then you basically trade it into something else to realize the gain or loss. Well, you want to do it to realize the to, loss. To realize the loss, just like, yeah. <laughs> And then you just buy back the original asset. And so you're, you're taking the loss, but you're still ultimately in the same ending position. And and I think the government is, I mean, the way that the, the regulations are written is it's actually incredibly penalized pretty severely when you wash trade, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly, because basically you lose... Mackenzie, you'll have to remind me of this. I'm sure there's some regulation for it, but you basically, you have to use the higher cost basis on the go or the lower cost basis on the go forward period without recognizing the actual loss. So like you end up getting penalized when you do wash trade. You don't, and it and it resets your your date. So you you take the worst part of trading, which is to change your long-term versus short-term. And then you also mm. get the worst of the cost basis uh, without actually picking up the the underlying asset change. I, 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 could, I could be remembering that incorrectly. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not exactly sure about that, but I can see them doing the same thing with crypto because it'd be fairly easy to just oh, now your cost basis is, is lower, I guess, and yeah. now you're now long term or short term. So yeah, I can see that. And, and that's and so this has been a debate. Like most, if you ever have used the tax loss harvesting product, if you do your retail taxes with crypto and you go, they they all have tax loss harvesting. They tell you to tax loss harvest. Generally, when they're speaking, it is the way that. Yeah, you just have to be very thoughtful about how you're going to do it. So like mm-hmm. if all you do is sell and then rebuy, there's a very good chance that A, that's not okay today. B, that won't be okay tomorrow. C, even if it is okay today, the IRS tomorrow might decide that it's not okay and, and that they can do retroactive law, like regulation changes around that kind of stuff. and something you have to go back and redeclare it. But then there are, then I mean, honestly, if you're very thoughtful about it, there are ways to get exposure to it. Wrapping is one potential one, depending on your reading of the rules. Going to liquidity pools is another potential way to get to, to tax loss harvest, where you maintain exposure to the underlying asset, but you are you have really dramatically changed the shape of the asset. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting. It's going to be super yeah, super cool. interesting. We'll see. One thing that's come up recently is, um, I guess, on on the uh, topic of tax loss, tax loss harvesting is donor advice funds, because I know Fidelity has their donor advice charity fund for crypto, which is actually really cool. So you can just donate your assets and then you can realize the loss if you want. But then the charity just has their their fund, which is tax free. So that's also interesting. Out there. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Cool. I uh, I didn't yeah. hear about that. That's really cool. And yeah. any, I assume any sort of fund, once we get to this more, it, once we do get to like mutual, like other ETFs and things like that, that'd be another way to tax loss harvest is go out, like sell your Bitcoin and buy the, the fund for it. You know, that'd be trip. That'd be similar traditional tax loss harvesting on, uh, on, uh, the stock exchange. Okay. So let's, yeah. so Mackenzie, you worked, uh, you worked for figment did uh RevRec there and now you've, you've, uh, you've, you've stepped out on your own. Like tell us a little bit about, about, uh, your new company. Yeah. So we are Hashbasis, your crypto native accounting firm, which is our tagline. I love it. Um, but we're helping companies with their crypto accounting and bookkeeping and also helping them get set up onto subledgers like Bitwave, for example. And also we're doing individual crypto tax as well, which does also involve a subledger. So we're kind of doing both of those right now, just kind of seeing like what the market is out there, what's the demand for that. But I do eventually see us specializing more in business uh, crypto accounting, like more enterprise level. Because I love US Gap. I think it's awesome. And I really just want to implement subledgers and help clients get their books in order. So that's a little bit of a hash basis. What subledger are you guys using for the retail side of things? Um, a mix. So we use Coinly quite often, especially if customers have a Cosmos-based activity, because Coinly actually has a name integration with both the Osmosis and Cosmos, which is awesome. Um, and then the other ones, I think those are only two, but they at least like pull in the pricing for like Juno or Stargate, so at least it recognizes it. So we use that. Uh, Coin Tracker, TaxFits, um, those are the main three that we have been using. I saw Token Tax the other day as well, but that hasn't been as popular as the other three. Yeah, and, so you, and you think Coinly is sort of one of the better ones that's out there? I, I think so, yeah. I think I I just started using it last year because I was doing some personal crypto tax on the side, so I'm just very familiar with that software. But yeah, a lot of the personal ones kind of give you the same results. For me, it's more about like how user-friendly is it, how fast is it, is it actually pulling accurate pricing, things like that. Yep, yep, yep. Amazing. And and uh, how do people find you and and get in touch with you? And are you guys taking new clients, I assume? <laughs> sure, we are. Probably not until after tax season, though, because we're already fairly booked. We got our hands full, which is crazy. <laughs> so we just launched like a month and a half ago. And I'm like, Courtney, who's my co-founder, I'm like, I don't know if we can take anybody on until after tax season. So <laughs> hit me up after April 18th. Um, we can find us at hashbasis.xyz. And then also we're at the same thing on Twitter. And yeah, my email is just my name, Mackenzie, at hashbasis.xyz. Awesome. awesome. And, then, and then you also brought up um, your EDAS, you know, our benefits, those that don't know, Enterprise Digital Assets Summit yeah. that's happening at the end of April, uh, April 25th, right before the conference consensus in Austin, Texas. And you'll actually be speaking there, which we're honored to have you. So I'd love to, you know, let the audience know what you're going to be talking about and they could come and meet you. Yeah, give us a sneak preview. Sure. Sure. And also, I love EDOS. I was there last year, so I'm so honored to be back. It's really the best conference for crypto accounting tax. Anyone in like the financial space for crypto. Um, so yeah, this year, I'm going to be talking about, well, I think the title is going to be like, it's all about timing, accruals and deferrals in a, in a cash basis blockchain world. And so basically just trying to, you know, diving more to what we're talking about, cash basis versus accrual basis, giving some desa- examples of like deferred revenue, accrued revenue, what are the journal entries, like how do you even wrap your mind around it and start reconciling these two. So going to be all about that. And yeah, I couldn't be more excited. Well, and I'll, I'll give everyone the the most popular uh, session or one of the most popular sessions last year was Mackenzie's deep dive into ASC 60, uh, 603. Wait, I said it right? 603. 606. 
606, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> AC 606, sorry, it's been a long day already. Uh, <laughs> all about how to do revenue recognition. So uh, somebody who's passionate about about doing the actual, the deep technical accounting like reviews of these these kinds of treatments. So should be yeah. incredibly fun. If anyone's interested, you can go to uh, edas.live where we are. We have tickets going out there. It's going to be a blast. It's the day before consensus. So if you're already going down to Austin for consensus, which I'm sure a lot of folks listening are, um, it's uh, come out one day early, learn about it. Come out two days early and we're doing a full certification course for BitWave too. So you can get your BitWave certified NFT, learn from 101 onwards on crypto accounting and uh, and go from there. So um, yeah, I'll be Mackenzie, there. are you, are you, uh, you and Courtney going to be be there? Yeah, we'll be there Monday. We have you, I assume we have you teaching the class or? Uh... No, I'm just a participant. I want to get that NFT. <laughs> Actually, I think I already have it, but I want to go to learn. So I'll be okay. there. <laughs> I love it. That's going to be, that's going to be an absolute blast. Well, Mackenzie, uh, thank you just so incredibly very, very much for, for coming on today. This was delightful. I think this was the appropriate level of detail. Like we haven't, we don't always get into like deep accounting details on a lot of this stuff. Um, this was a great day to actually do that. Really, really fun. Thank you so much for coming on today. Of course. Thanks for having me. As I said, this is great. We'll, we'll, we'll have you on. Uh, we'll have you on again in the not too distant future, and uh, to, to to do an update once FASB comes out. We're all like wrapping our heads around that. We'll do a little oh, update yeah. on it and go from there. <laughs> There'll be lots to talk about. That's for sure. We'll we'll also be figuring it out, but we can figure it out together. I love it. Thanks again, everyone. Thank you for listening, and uh, hopefully we have you on soon in the near future. And looking forward to seeing you at EDAS. Thanks, everyone. Have a great rest of your week. <laughs>